0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is another Avengers episode. This is episode 2B, covering a period of Avengers from 1966 to 1967. Uh, I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Avengers co-host, Chris Russ. And in this episode, we're continuing kind of right where we left off, talking about the second half of the second volume of the Avengers Epic Collections. This one's called Once an Avenger. Uh, What issues specifically are we talking about today, Chris?
1: We're going to be talking about Avengers 31 through 40.
0: Yeah, that's it. Just a kind of it's just like a year's worth of issues, just under a year, and this is a this is a, um, a group of issues that I think shows uh, a bunch of growth and transition for the Avengers. It's kind of like an out with the old and in with the new in terms of well, in terms of the writer, we see a transition between mm-hmm. Stanley and Roy Thomas, but also it shakes off the last little bits of the Avengers era from that, that Stan Lee invented in the very beginning. I mean, I know we have Giant Man and Wasp coming back into the picture, but they are actually written as kind of as different characters when we see them here than they were back in the day. Right.
1: right. Yeah, I think that, and, and the Avengers start getting some more of their own recurring villains. Yep. The book is very much at this point, not like a superstar team-up book, which it was early on. Um, and in fact, I think I think the direction was very intentionally to try to avoid crossing over too heavily with you know with the Iron Man book and the Thor book and all of that so they really kind of develop their own continuous running plots that intermingle throughout the the next few issues here which is kind of refreshing and we even
0: see that uh, in display because now Captain America has his own title which he didn't have Mm -hmm. when he when he joined the Avengers back then but now he has his own title and we're starting to see even he disappears at the end of this book because of the events that are happening in his own title
1: right Yeah, yeah Marvel at this point was very Meticulous. Well, they made mistakes sometimes, but they were they were at least very faithful to the idea that you had to know where every single character was at any given point in time. Right. And if this book came out in you know June of whatever year, all the other books that came out in June of that same year, the characters couldn't be in two places at once. This is a far cry from you know like the early two thousands when Wolverine was on like eight different teams at one time, and they didn't even attempt to explain <laughs> how yeah. he could have been doing that. So this was a point where you could literally track every single character's whereabouts from issue to issue and they they were, they were pretty on top of
0: that. And I think that's okay for for nowadays to have things like Wolverine on every team. Not that that's okay, okay, but I mean since <laughs> since writers yeah. write in their six issue arcs or so so that it's collected in a trade, as long as the trade is consistent and then other mm-hmm. Wolverine stories fall in between trades or they can you can you know you can put them in some sort of semblance of order once they're collected in a trade format. I think that's fine. Right. That's they they didn't have that luxury back then. And also Marvel was still a fledgling company even in 1966 it's only been five years since fantastic four number one and they need to promote their other books and so what better way to do that than tell hey
1: kids this is happening in this other book you need to pick up this other book right and this is also a time where you could have like without having without being independently wealthy you could have been reading every single book that marvel was putting out in their superhero line and it wouldn't have been that onerous of a task that's true yeah there's only a small handful maybe like 10 books at the most or something and a lot of books came out every other month so
0: Yeah, so it's a very interesting era and it's neat to see the even the difference between what we were talking about in the last episode and what we're talking about in this episode because things do to change quite a bit. Um, Yeah, so that said, I think we should dive into where we picked off here episode 30 or sorry, issue number 31. This one's called never bug a giant. When I was splitting up this volume for our two episodes, I really should have made the break after issue thirty-one because this is the second part of a two-part story, and this is what Stan Lee has been doing with these issues: is uh, crafting his stories around two parts. And uh, mm-hmm. and so in the last episode, we saw we saw a Giant Man going on a hunt to find a, a certain doctor that he thinks could help find a cure for his uh, condition. He's stuck as a as a giant, and right. uh, he yep. stumbles into this this weird kind of underground cult that has been in existence. Uh, it's an underground society, like a group of people that have been in existence for a thousand years that have uh, shut themselves off from society from the rest of the world and, and only exist and get all their power from this flame in this cauldron that's apparently made out of, it, it's, a, it's a burning cobalt.
1: Right, they said cobalt flame. I tried to do some googling to see if that was some kind of fledgling technology at the time and I couldn't find too much on it, so I don't know if that was just an idea that Stan had or, or where exactly That came from, but it really played up the fact that it was a cobalt flame.
0: Yeah, I mean, they make some comment about how that's the same stuff that they use in their in nuclear devices or something. So it has uh, it has some sort of bearing. And and you know, this isn't this is still not that far removed from World War II. Twenty years later, right? Um, Still kind of playing off
1: the kind of fear of the bomb type of uh, story. Yeah, and in the Cold
0: War and all that. So that's uh, that's not unusual, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and it was cool to see that mixed with the kind of mythology of like the lost city of the, the Amazon type of place. I think that's kind of what they were playing off of with this hidden yeah. society, some kind of like secret boss civilization idea.
0: Now through the course of this, Giant Man teams up with this prince who I guess is trying to take the power away from the Keeper of the Flame, who's an appointed guardian, which it's a position that's passed down through uh, family lineage. Right. And so they are trying to, uh, to to take down this guy. And then Gi- I like this part because Giant Man realizes that the only reason why the prince Prince wants to take this guy down is not for the not to benefit the society but it's so that he can have the power instead so it's just trading one right. uh, dictator for another and, and so everyone's Giant, terrible Yeah. <laughs> so so Giant Man kind of takes it into his own hands to try and uh, stop it all together which I thought that was kind of cool it was also nice to see um, a Giant Man solo story right
1: I, I think especially at this point too because I don't think we have any we don't have any Giant Man solo comics anymore there's no, no Ant-Man and the Wasp or anything
0: that's right happening. yeah and other than the, the the team kind of popping up at the end to give us kind of a grand finale. He's on his own. so it's And this is what I mean by getting a different Ant-Man be, uh, or Giant-Man, a different character than what we knew from the very beginning because he, he tackles things differently. He seems to be a little bit more hot-headed, a little bit more impulsive mm-hmm. uh, and this is something that's of course going to play heavily as his character progresses into the future.
1: Right. One of my favorite aspects of how they develop his character in this, this set of 10 issues is that he's kind of also is like the grouchy older guy even though he was I mean you know this is issue 31 of the Avengers so it's not like the team's been around forever but he views all these like upstart newcomers as a bunch of you know like former (laughs) criminals and they don't know what they're doing which is fair in a lot of ways so it's kind of a and and also they're trying to sell him as like the heavy of the team because they don't have Thor they don't have Iron Man they don't have any of that muscle so he's the the most powerful member they have on the team
0: this issue also gives uh, Captain America and Hawkeye a chance to be sort of so Solo teammates. Uh, I know that Wasp is kind of tagging along, but she really doesn't play a role in this issue heavily. Uh, but no. Captain America, it's like a little buddy movie here, as the two of them are are searching for Goliath. And one of the things that I really complained about in the last issue was how much they bicker, like like an old married couple, through the entire last ten issues. But in this one, this is where we start to see things kind of mm-hmm. turn around.
1: Right. And then Hawkeye actually shows some maturity. Yeah. I think on it's on page 216 of this epic. He said, a Joker with a tongue-like mine can't afford to get mad at what anyone else says, which is, compared to some of his earlier appearances, a shocking progression of uh, maturity for Hawkeye.
0: Totally. I also like the, the the subplot that's kind of brewing with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Uh, yes. Actually, that's not in this issue, is it? That's Oh, yeah, it is in this issue on page 217, where they're...
1: Very briefly, which is a very pretty page overall. It has that kind yeah. of beautiful scene mountainscape and then on the bottom of the page the nice cave scene with uh, uh with goliath um underneath in south in south or central america where he's at and also quick quicksilver's hair looks more quicksilvery than it ever has in this comic before it's, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. really pluming up there quite nicely
0: and you really sense you get a sense of uh, frank giacoya's uh um, inking in this one because he like the the way that he draws um scarlet witch on this page is full of glamour mm-hmm. it's like definitely this sort of 40s or 50s pinup looking kind mm-hmm. of a girl. It's a very very different look than what uh, Don Heck will do in a few issues from now when he's inking his own work. And I'll bring that up a little right. bit later.
1: Right, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that Don Heck inking his own work stage and, and like I had said previously this whole epic collection um, the the second Marvel epic collection is a really good showcase of what different inkers can do to the same pencil the whole mm-hmm. thing is penciled by one dude, Don Heck and the different inkers have a drastically different effect on it. Um, Issue, to issue Yeah,
0: you can actually see if you go to the, the bonus page, the bonus uh, at the back of this book, we have a lot of um, original art and the original art is mm-hmm. taken from this issue that we're talking about right now. Uh, or no, it's actually taken from issue 30. And if you go to the last page, um, it's the last page of this. It's Avengers 30, page 14. The re- reproduction, the photostat of page 14 where you see the Keeper of the mm-hmm. Flame and you can see this last panel is um, isn't the, the inking isn't finished and you can see see the pencils Don Heck's pencils underneath and a lot of it is like it's not uh, it's not so tight it's it's more sketchy it leaves a lot of uh, a lot of room for interpretation from the inker and so that's what we get I think that's why because Don Heck doesn't get as tight in his pencils
1: as say Jack Kirby does right if you see Jack Kirby's pencils like he almost like fills in his own blacks oh he does entirely he's meticulous with it and every little wire and every little single tiny detail is like perfectly how he wants it and that's when you see. Later in his career, when you see somebody like Mike Royer doing basically a direct interpretation of what his his inks uh, or his pencils look like, um, but that's far cry from what Heck is doing here. Yeah. much much quicker. Much Which quicker.
0: is why we get a, a sense of what the inkers can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And then in this issue, we had we had also previously talked about in this epic collection that sometimes because Don Heck is probably carrying a lot of the plotting duties here, when Lee gets the pages back and he's scripting them, he kind of has to cover for some stuff. Yep. The end of this issue seems like that. <laughs> yeah. Like there's. They're shooting an arrow into some strange statue head, and th- even the characters are like asking, like, "Why is this even happening?" <laughs> like, and then they said, just as Jan said, the idol contained hidden explosives, and Jan had to like whisper this into Captain America's ear, which wasn't really clear. And then, and then Hawkeye even says out loud, "But how will that put the fire out?" And then it kind of, <laughs> it, it's uh there's yeah. a lot of heavy lifting done in those last two pages by oh, standard
0: dialogue. That's true, and that's uh, that's true for a number of the issues moving forward too. I will I will make those points. Um, later on again and again i do like the last line though uh where dr anton is has been saved and they're all flying mm-hmm. back in some sort of ship and uh, and and giant man says then you know nothing that can safely restore me to my normal height again dr anton says i'm sorry goliath the only other man who might help you is the most brilliant biochemist in his field a man named henry pym and then it just ends yeah. and i like yeah. that that's so good that's that really cap encapsulates the tragedy of his situation the only one who can possibly save him is himself and he can't do it
1: yeah lee lee definitely had a flair for for trying to recreate that kind of quasi shakespearean tragedy and you see that over and over again in his characters you see that with the way he writes ben Grimm, yep with the way he writes you know peter parker it's it comes up over and over again i think that's one of his strengths as a writer actually totally well let's go on to issue number 32 yes yep the sign of the serpent and, uh, and this, like you had referenced, we have Don Heck inking himself, um, and you can immediately tell that the style is, is very different. Yeah. Um, so this one starts with some more of that Avengers infighting that we had kind of gotten past last issue. Um, so Captain America kind of seeks to inspire Hank Goliath to find a solution. Um, to his problems of being stuck at 10 feet tall, uh, which we just learned is he's the only one that can do that. Um, and then we also have uh, the Sons of the Serpent show up here and they start terrorizing immigrant and minority Americans. Uh, we also have the introduction of Bill Foster in this issue.
0: Yeah, I liked that. Uh, first of all, I don't really know a whole lot about Bill Foster. Um, I mean, I know that that he, I don't know if this is, should be a spoiler or alert or whatever, but he, he eventually becomes a giant himself. Um, right. Which I guess everybody who ever talks to him Pym probably ends up shrinking or enlarging at some point. Uh, but yeah, to yeah. to uh, his introduction, I think, was not really meant to be an ongoing thing other than to illustrate the point of this issue, which is to tackle racism. His
1: this issue kind of there's a lot of parts of it that are not very subtle and are not very uh, they're, they're fairly heavy handed. Yeah, I actually thought some of the ways they handled Bill Foster was was fairly uh, subtle and like fairly well done. He basically was introduced and he was like, this is a really great scientist. And then he's going to work with Hank him. And like that was kind of. Kind of the gist of it, um, which was a lot of times if they're and Bill Foster is is an African-American scientist. And a lot of times in these early comics, when they would would try to introduce um, diversity, they would do it in a very like, look at what we're doing here. And obviously it wasn't like hidden. It wasn't like they were doing it, um, you know, and trying to surprise you with it. But it it had a remarkable for early Stan Lee comics amount of restraint in how they handled that issue, at least that portion of the issue.
0: Yeah, I think, though, at this time, this is this is just this is 1960. Sixty-six, right? So this is just uh, still a couple years before the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Um, but and so Stan is taking a little bit of a of a, of a stand here, and mm-hmm. the fact that he introduces Bill Foster is specifically for this story because I um, mm-hmm. just based on everything else that Stan has done. I don't think that normally he would have cast a, a black man in this role as an assistant to to uh, Hank Pym. I think because I think Stan's right. default is just to make it another white guy. That's just kind of exactly,
1: and so yeah, yeah. And I think I think hundred percent you're right. It's very intentional. But usually when he did something intentional, he would like Stan is not usually a subtle writer. He would <laughs> yeah. he would like make it a big plot point. And here it was just it was kind of refreshing that he was like, oh, this is this really great scientist that Tony Stark has worked with, and he also is a, is an African American man. Yeah. Um, and the issue, yeah, the issue um, obviously is very like full of 1960s civil rights um, issues. Uh, the the serpent society, um, I think it starts on page 239 of the epic collection, um, attacks uh, attacks attacks an immigrant. Um, there's you know dialogue in here about you know immigrants stealing jobs and you know foreigners like corrupting American society and, and I think the other kind of interesting thing that Lee does here is he um, he has various citizens who are either convinced or not convinced of these hateful talking points um, depending on the situation and also depending on which of the Avengers appear to be on the same page as that which, right. is, which is an interesting way to kind of portray how the effects of media or celebrity on these issues
0: the other point here is on 240 page 240 the leader of the sons of the serpent the supreme serpent he's talking to the crowd mm-hmm. and he explains the original serpent drove adam and eve from eden so shall we drive all foreigners from this land and so he's making real ties to religious organizations as well i think stan is trying to point mm-hmm. out that a lot of this comes from um comes from just the mistrust and mistreatment from different uh, churches or parishes or whatever you want to call them across the country. Uh, he himself, being Jewish, I, I bet um, felt that in in some way, and it influenced his writing.
1: Yes, yeah, oh, one hundred percent. I'm sure. Yeah, um, and and I can't. I wish I had the like omnibus. This is this is one of one of the only things about the epic collections which I, I love, and they're way more readable. But I do sometimes miss not having the letters uh, letters columns in these in these issues because I, I would wonder what Stan's soapbox looked like in this issue. I know that you had posted on a, the epic uh the epic Facebook page yep. uh stain soapbox that I think was from one or two years later where he addressed a lot of these same issues. So, it was it was from I'm 1960
0: sure to 16, 16, so. 1968. Okay. But yeah that's um it it's uh I, I think especially you know we're we're living through another civil rights movement in a sense uh currently mm-hmm. and so to read these it's like a lot of these same conversations that are happening here are um are happening in in the media in the news and in the protests that we see right now it's kind of interesting to to see some parents parallels
1: yeah yeah it was uh i I did sit down to read these and i was like oh the news is terrible i was like a little bit of just like let me read some superheroes (laughs) and then i was like right exactly and not that that's bad like i enjoy reading about politics and current of you know important issues in my comics too yeah but it was very striking because i was you know having read you know the previous issue which was about you know the cobalt flame secret you know secret society of south America. i was not expecting this to be particularly topical so it was was kind of surprising (laughs) (laughs)
0: It is. Uh, So we have also uh, another tie to Captain America and S.H.I.E.L.D. I I mentioned this in the last episode that it really feels like they're trying to pump up uh, Captain America's relationship with with being a spy and like giving him some purpose in that sense. And so in this one, he Mm -hmm. actually does contact Nick Fury and go to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. And this is the time where they see him without his mask for the first time as well. Mm -hmm. Because he's in a Mm -hmm. disguise and just kind of opens up his shirt and like, look, I got Captain America costume underneath. This is me.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I actually just re- recently read through the issues of Shield that are kind of contemporaneous to this. All I read all the Priest Storanko stuff for very reason. Yeah. So, um, and he he has crossovers with them with them there as well. Um, there's an issue of Tales of Suspense that crosses over directly with the Shield story arc as well. So, um,
0: it would have had to been right around this time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's just about here.
0: It would have to be before this because he has that ring that he gets in that crossover, right? right? The the little Shield emblem that enables him to get into into yeah. Right, a, the barber shop. Yeah. yeah, on t- page two forty-eight, it says um, in Suspense number seventy-eight, to be exact, where he gets that little calling card or whatever it is.
1: Exactly, which is that that kind of cross-book marketing that yep. you would that would kind of draw people to different titles. I remember when I was a kid and I, I had the essential volumes in black and white, and I would read these comics and it was saying Suspense seventy-eight. I was like, what is that? Because <laughs> I there was, I wasn't on the internet when yep. I was, and, and so I was I was very even drawn into that in you know nineteen ninety-seven or eight or whatever when I was reading those essential collection so yeah. it, it, the marketing worked on me then too. totally <laughs> that's great yeah uh, and and then the, the big note artistically here is that don heck is inking his own stuff here um, which can get very sketchy at times there are parts of it that i really do like this issue is not the best this is not the peak of that um, but don heck definitely knows because he's he's doing the inks and he's doing the pencils He kind of interprets them in a way that maybe feels more authentic to his his intention as a penciler than almost anything else. There's points in this comic where his art is almost uh, reminiscent of kind of like um, early 1900s American magazine illustration or mid-century American magazine illustration. Okay, you know the kind of like Rockwell or or like the uh, advertising um, illustrations that you would have, Um, and it it looks like very sketchy. Somebody a contemporary who kind of evokes that style as well as like a Phil Noto. Um, So like. Like if you look on page two thirty nine in this comic, that that panel of a Cap who just ha- who has the lipstick on his face when yeah. Wasp gave him a kiss, and he's kind of like looking like surprised. There's there's a few face profiles that kind of look very illustratory, um, and that's I think when Heck is at his best here.
0: He uses an incredibly thin line, uh, mm-hmm. and I have to applaud the restoration of these issues because when you have such thin lines uh, with such aged material, if you don't have really good uh, copies to to work from like to scan from a lot mm. of this detail can be lost and it's all here and you can see yeah. everything here so i'm i was really surprised to see how thin his line is he goes from really really thin lines the sketchiness that we're talking about that have no weight to them like they they're just straight thin lines they don't waver there's no uh, you know it, right. it looks like he's using some sort of a ballpoint pen rather than uh, like a brush or um or yeah or, or something i don't know what it is exactly but right. it it looks like yeah. a nib
1: almost, um, yeah. you know, especially with a lot of his effects. Um, yeah, it's it's a really dead line at points, which which varies a lot from like, um, you know, even Giacomo, but especially with, earlier in this epic collection when you had uh, like a Ramita or a Wood who would yeah. have these really like you know beautiful brush lines that Definitely. vary a lot in their weight. Um, it's very different. I have a I have a reprint um, of some Alex Toth art, and at different points Toth would also use a very thin line, and that got I, th- I, I they got really washed out, and at points it looks like the art even just dropped off the page. Yeah. Um, so you can definitely go wrong with nineteen, you know, sixties type era art that you don't reproduce well, and, and they did a very nice job here.
0: I also think that uh, he draws he draws the wasp like Mary Tyler Moore. Yes. I really feel yeah. like that's a huge influence on the way he draws women here, and, and that doesn't come across in any of the other inkers, but it really comes across. Um, like you, you mentioned that, that that panel on page two thirty nine where she's kissing, um, Cap's cheek, and I just like I look mm-hmm. at that, and I'm like that totally looks like mary tyler moore
1: 100 <laughs> percent. and the mysterious nameless scientist on page 245 looks exactly like mark twain yep that's true <laughs> so yep wonder if he had He's that as some reference. reference material as well
0: yeah uh you can also see that uh while while you say he has a lot of the the that artistic background uh the Norman rockwell kind of quality to him he also is a little bit loose with his anatomy and if you look at pages like mm-hmm. uh 241 and those two shots of hank and his arms are like super long especially in the last yeah. panel where his shoulder is, it looks like it's dislocated um and it's like yep. way too far from his neck or, or something like there's that's yep. the kind of stuff where if an Inker saw that and he was like, oh, I can fix that. And Inker would probably go ahead and fix it. He would, he would uh, change up just the position of the arms or the shoulder or whatever to make it look a little bit neater. Uh, and that's something that, you know, Joe Sinnott said that he did that a lot to Jack Kirby's work because Jack Kirby was fast and loose with his anatomy as well because he's very stylized.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and I and I don't think necessarily here this is an issue of, with, with Kirby, there's a lot of the weird foreshortening stuff and the dynamic like posing to accentuate action and movement. Yep. I don't necessarily think that was necessarily what was going on here. no he was just, <laughs> just grinding these sloppy. out incredibly quickly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all I had for this one, and and the story does continue on into, into issue 33 um, to smash a serpent. The storyline rolls right into that one. Um, in this one, um, Captain America kind of appears to the public to be a pawn of the Sons of the Serpents. Um, Black Widow appears to fight alongside the Avengers, um, and then America is portrayed as being very divided by confusion and racism and hatred, um, and, and Lee kind of just continues those themes into this, this issue as well.
0: I found this to be a very... Confusing ending.
1: Yes, I was going to ask you what your your thoughts were on that because I'm not a huge fan of the way this issue ends. I, my,
0: yeah, I thought that it it totally undermined the point that Stan was trying to make by having the bait and switch with Goliath and with Captain America. Both of them, like both at at first, Goliath says that he's on the side of the Serpents, but and we know that that's not true. Like he's got a plan, Uh, but the general public doesn't know it. So the general public's like, okay, well the Avengers are behind these guys then I'm going to be behind these guys too. And then Captain America comes out and says, no, um, Giant Man is, or no, the Giant Man says, I'm actually not against these guys. And then Captain America says, no, Giant Man's a liar. And then, the, and it's like, it's back and forth. And I think it, it's, I, I feel like it was unnecessary confusion, but right. really kind of buried the point.
1: Right. And then like there was, yeah, it, it, it made everything way more confusing than it had to be. Um. And then there was the, there was a guy who was disguised as Captain America. Yeah. And I think the, and the, the bigger bait and switch, which was the fact that, that, um, the general—I um, I don't remember if it says what country he's supposed to be from—but the is, is not American guy, and he was actually leading the Serpent Society or the, the Brotherhood or whatever, and he was the one who was trying to divide, divide America. Which I get that point—that you know, the enemies of freedom want America to be divided against ourselves, and we have to, you know, remember that we have more in common than we don't, and it's important to stay united. I get that, but that wasn't really the core theme of this issue. The core people within America who are racist and hateful and we need to like fight against those ideas. So I thought it was going to be one of like the senators or something or yeah, like a right. city councilman or something like that. Um, Some kind of somebody who is high position in society, which would have had a more powerful impact because then it would have said that these are problems that are kind of um, deeply embedded in society and we have to really work to fight through them and to fix ourselves. And, and if this is just like, Oh, it's somebody foreign from the outside and all our Americans are really fine. It's just only when foreigners mess with us. It's actually kind of works very, Thoroughly against the fundamental message that was a lot of the comments. So, I mean, I don't think. I don't want to be too hard on it. This is, compared to a lot of the comics in this era, this is att- attacking these issues with uh, way more thoroughly than a lot of the other ones would have. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't think it's the smoothest presentationist message.
0: The biggest problem that I had came at the very end is where the big reveal that Captain America was not Captain America was on a spaceship. So the general public doesn't ever find out the actual real deal with what was going on. Oh, yeah so like America <sighs> was supposed to learn a lesson but they don't mm-hmm. they don't find out that you know that I mean I'm sure'll it'll, it'll be in the news that this general Chen guy was behind it all and stuff but um, I think that once it makes its way like we had all of those people in the building watching it mm-hmm. it would have been a it would have been first person knowledge f- for all of these people but now they have to read about it in a newspaper um, which gets whatever bias right. is, is yeah, I, I don't know it just seemed like um, they should have made that whole reveal on on the stage since all of that other stuff was happening on the stage as well.
1: Right. And it also seemed like there was a lot of members of of this organization and it doesn't seem like they all were like rounded up or like this uncovered so right. there's a lot of active members of this organization who are still in the country still sewing division presumably which I guess could you know the, I think they do show up later in, like, in the seven. I can't remember the next issue they show up but somewhere else in Roy Thomas' run they show up um, but yeah it was not necessarily a deeply satisfying ending um, I, I do think though on the plus side Don Heck's art I think is better in this issue even from the previous one yeah um, inking himself um, there's some really Really interesting things going on. If you go to page 260 of this, episode, there's these really close close-ups on characters' faces. So right. Hawkeye in the center and the Wasp in the bottom right, and those angular panels as well, um, which is really different from a lot of the things that he's been doing in the rest of this book to this point. Yeah. Um, and and there's also a panel if we if we go ahead closer to the end, um, page 269. He start. It's kind of a, a formalist touch where he's the panel border divides Captain America's face in half, and that doesn't he has i don't think he's been doing too much of that no um, and there's some really other nice touches like on 275 there's that middle right panel of hawkeye with the like serpent gun pointed at him and that's just a very striking like pop art image um with the bright purple and the bright green and i, I really <laughs> like that
0: panel it reminds there. me of um <laughs> ripley with the alien um the alien yes! coming out <laughs> it's
1: so close to that it's very that's close to that really amazing yeah <laughs>
0: Uh, there's wow. also another page <laughs> on um go back to page two sixty one. There's the middle panel uh with uh with with um giant man's face with Hawkeye in the background there and wasp in the background. But that page that mm-hmm. panel is not your typical Don Heck style either. Like it's missing the lines in the nose no. or like the finishing the finishing all the way around the glasses. It looks like a Gene Colon picture.
1: Oh yeah, and with the shade, like the spotting of the blacks too yeah, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. how impressionistic it is. Totally. And yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, he is bouncing around with a lot of different things here, um, which is kind of impressive considering how tight of a schedule they had to turn this thing around. The fact that he was able to experiment a little bit in here is kind of impressive.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see. Should we go on to the next issue here, number 34? Yeah. Uh, yep. 34 is called The Living Laser. This kicks off another two-issue story. Uh, this is the first issue. No, this is the last issue with Stanley doing solo, s- solo scripting work. And it's interesting that... Uh, the transition from Stan to Roy happens in the middle of a two-part, and not kind of at the beginning of a new story.
1: It is very strange, and I, I had been reading. I, I wasn't. I didn't find the original article that was supposed to have mentioned this, but I think Roy Thomas. The, the, what I had read was a summary of a Roy Thomas interview that said that issue thirty-five, the following issue, had already been plotted by Stan, and he gave it to Roy to uh, script, so to fill in the word balloons, essentially. Right. Um. So he kind of, uh, kind of it was a. Uh, practice round. He kind of eased him into it a little bit.
0: Okay, I see. Um, Yeah. Okay, so in this issue, we are met with a new villain, brand new. His name is the Living Laser, and he uh, he, I guess lasers must be a fairly new technology at this point, because everybody, the Avengers, everybody that come across this, they're they're all surprised at this. They just call it, and they call it like laser beams or laser bolts and stuff, and it just seems like something that's not commonplace, whereas today, it's like everyone, especially in kids' cartoons because of uh, censorship issues or whatever they all run around with laser guns and stuff it's just a normal thing
1: Right. But here, lasers seem to be the most terrifying thing possible. Yeah. It's almost like for the first few issues, it was magnets. Magnets was the big thing. That's right. Magnets yeah. can do anything in the first few years of the Marvel Universe. And now it's we've moved on the lasers. Lasers can do anything.
0: <laughs> so, and this is a funny story because basically the living laser is so taken by the stunning beauty of the Wasp that he plans to take down the Avengers and steal her for himself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right and even stanley when he writes this he says like you know this guy is like an insane person yeah he's not he's like clearly unwell and he also does other strange things where he goes around and like he like only damages things that were going to be destroyed already like it's a very his motivations are very strange to me like he says here's some obsolete planes slated for overseas delivery and he destroyed them in a building that was like going to be destroyed demolished anyway he like yeah help he sped up the demolition process like he was well, actually helpful
0: and right at the beginning he <laughs> robs this bank and then he just gives the money back not because he's forced to but because it's like ah they, they now know my power i don't need this money <laughs> right <It's> so strange. <laughs> i read
1: one issue summary that said he they thought this is just all of like a plea for help of some sort <laughs> which kind of seems true
0: <laughs> yeah yeah really it's so strange Mm-hmm. uh in this one we have a team meeting at 280 and and giant man is acting chairman we haven't had a chairman in the Avengers for quite a number of issues here but I guess yep. now that giant man and wasp are back they're bringing back the old uh, the old rules
1: right kind of getting back to normal got some it's not these young former criminal members anymore they got some uh avengers in good standing or something i guess
0: uh and then if you go to page uh, 294 toward the end of this issue here, I re- mm-hmm. really think that we have um, a disconnect between words and pictures as well. Uh, there's just it's some of these these pictures are so ambiguous, and so we have at the very bottom of page 294, Bill Foster and and Hank Pym are working together, and it says here, in fact, Hawkeye and Cap are out searching for him now, referring to the Living Laser, and the Wasp and I will be out joining them as soon as we can. But I don't right. think that that was the intention of the art. I think that um, I think that the that the Wasp was already with Cap. Because she shows up on the next page, on page 295, yep. um, and says, mm-hmm. um, I've located the exact window where the beam was shooting out Hawkeye, and Hawkeye says, well, hi Waspy, looks like the gang's all here, but Giant Man's not there. <laughs> no. So I think yeah it's putting something in there just to be like oh i guess i have to address the fact that wasp is all of a sudden in this issue uh or in this in this panel and then giant man does
1: right what?
0: If for the rest of the issue like he's he's on his own still doing his own thing wasp was clearly there with the rest of the team
1: yeah i think that was an issue he he might have just been scripting that too quickly without reading all the pages or without yeah. having gotten all the pages um he might have only gotten a few and then had to guess what was going to be in the rest true. of it yeah and, and true. i had mentioned earlier that it's he living laser was just destroying stuff and and then the dialogue would explain that it wasn't that bad of a crime. So it was like a a (laughs) ship that was going to be a target ship. So I don't know if some of, I wonder if some of that was comics code related where he was like destroying so much stuff. And Lee was like nervous that he had to make it clear that none of this was like harming life or damaging property too gravely or something like that. That's true.
0: In the next issue, he even makes a comment. I'll give those guys enough time so they can parachute
1: out of their planes before I destroy them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The comic code uh, invented a, a lot of strange things like that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, the Avengers also in this issue um, at least Hawkeye and Captain America are proven to be pretty dumb on page 291 or, so or a little earlier in the issue they have captured the living laser and they tie him up with ropes but they don't take his laser away which is his whole <laughs> yeah, right. thing and, and it's just pointing at the floor and then he blasts out of the ship and flies away and I love and, the dialogue
0: yeah. there uh, we were fools we never considered the possibility of his having the power of flight <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> another, another Stan Lee moment it's like holy cow Don just drew him flying I have to address that somehow
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that was just Stan Lee's inner monologue like <laughs> He also didn't realize he had the power of flight. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I love it. Yep. I also, the other, the other little note is, is Lee is usually pretty good with the pseudoscientific, um, kind of terminology and especially when you're a kid, you're like, that sounds amazing. Right. But sometimes he doesn't try that hard. So on page 293, he's putting together this crazy machine to improve his laser, and then he says, all I need to do is insert this special beam spreader, and it's like this <laughs> control panel, and he really didn't try it. He could have called it, like, the, you know, the laser amplifier or something. Yeah, and right. Like, nope, this is <laughs> the beam, beam spreader. spreader.
0: <laughs> I love it yep okay well continue continuing on to the next issue unless you have anything more to say on this one
1: no I was just gonna say and this one ends with the uh, with with Captain American Hawkeye uh, facing certain death that's right in the uh, in the clutches of the living laser
0: the next one's called the light that failed and this yes first credited appearance on the avengers by uh, roy thomas and
1: right scripted surprisingly, surprisingly. by surprisingly
0: <laughs> <Thomas. laughs> so this this one this issue i just i didn't like this ending at all it just went in a completely mm. different direction Completely, like so counter to what we had been talking about before. Because whereas before mm-hmm. the laser, the living laser, especially because of the way that Stan was scripting him, wasn't really concerned about crime or whatever. He just kind of wanted to show off his power. And then he was overly concerned with taking out the Avengers to prove himself as... A worthy person for jan and right. now in this issue uh we have an about face and he's hired by some mercenaries to take out a communist dictator uh so that those <laughs> guys can take over a town but then he decides that he wants to take over the town instead and like what this is just like it's totally out right. of left
1: field <laughs> and he's ordering troops around like he's some kind of like quasi general figure and he suddenly has all this confidence and he's really arrogant and not in this kind of like you know strange awkward way he was in the last issue but in some, like like he's a murderous villain in this yeah, issue yeah it's um, so
0: strange and i don't know if that's roy scripting
1: changed that maybe right i guess this is like the i, I probably what ends up happening when you have stanley giving you know a, a short description of what the plot's going to be and then don heck doing his best illustrate that and then and, you know kind of plot it out and then roy thomas getting all of this without any context and just having to fill in dialogue <laughs> and you know who knows the extent of the ref- reference material that any of those individuals have um so occasionally you'll result in these things
0: even without roy mm-hmm. thomas's dialogue we still have the pictures to show that we're now in the middle of this foreign country with some sort of revolution going on it's still right. way out of out of left field it just seems so strange to me
1: that's true yeah it pivots to geopolitical conflict very quickly and then you have these like you know the the thing that's supposed to look like a caricature of like fidel castro or whatever yeah. on like page 305 and right tanks everywhere and you have people like in the moonlight conspiring and then the plot also gets way way confusing where they're like somehow at the end it's a good democracy i don't know how it got <laughs> to that point i don't know either but somehow all of these proxy wars ended up installing like a really good democracy <laughs> Oh, I
0: don't, yeah. and I don't even know. Like on page three o four, we have these two guys talking, talking to each other. And they're these yeah. are the guys that hired uh, the Living Laser, and they're like um, Valdez. He, he's the guy in purple. He is the guy who's who's mm-hmm. in charge. He wants to be in charge of the of this country or this nation or whatever. And the other guy is his second in command. And then you flip over the page to page three o six, and these guys are the apparently the same guys, and now they're wearing this oh. Mexican garb or whatever, or some sort of Latin American outfit, and it's clearly like the one guy says, it's as you says, Valdez, like it, these are clearly the same two people, uh, but like... Oh, yeah, I yeah, in the middle pan, yeah. yeah. And then at the very end of this story, yeah. like they're the ones that are now taking orders from Laser, and at the end of the story, they, um, the Laser is defeated, and they're like, okay, we gotta run for cover, because we can't, uh, now that he's gone, there's no way
1: that we can protect ourselves right <laughs> and it seemed like they were plotting to like kill the laser at some point and they never got even close to that no because um, it said like this you know he, what did they say i think they'll say and once we learn the secret of his lethal beams we shall have no further need of him but it didn't develop that plot point no yeah it's all very
0: confusing <laughs> so confusing which just led lent itself to not being an enjoyable issue at all
1: right i focused on some of the art highlights yep. um To try to to try, and I I ended up getting wrapped into that a little bit more. And there were some really kind of cool moments of that. Um, Try to pull pull up some of the highlights. Um, So on the uh, on page 314, at the bottom of the page, there's all these kind of um, slanted lines with all those various like a bunch of panels all in a row. Yeah. Like this five panel bottom half of the page. That's cool. Uh, And then on page 316. Oh, hold on. Let me uh, let me just talk about that one for a
0: second. On page 14, before you move on, there's the one. One panel yep. where um, the wasp's face is cut off by the edge of the panel mm-hmm. and when I when I see panels like that I'm always reminded of, uh, of, a, of a documentary that I watched on just like famous directors and the unique way that they film things and Roman Polanski did Rosemary's Baby and there's this one shot where you see from outside of the bedroom door you see Mia Farrow on the bed and I, she's talking on a phone but the very front of her face is hidden in the doorway in like the door frame is exactly like this mm. uh, and there's no reason except that now you have to imagine what her reaction is and for mm. this for this one the reaction is she thinks that Hank has been killed uh, and right. so you, but you have to imagine the horror and the absolute terror that she's feeling uh, from that from witnessing that scene right here and the slanted lines of the panels also help that because now we're not in a safe box. Anymore, we're we're in a Mm -hmm. a really constrained and restrictive uh, panel because of the way that the that the 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 panel borders are are slanted, uh, showing us that things are not exactly all good. So I thought that was a kind of a neat choice. Uh, It's just kind of a throwaway panel as as well, but there's a lot to kind of just pick apart with that one panel.
1: Right. Yeah. That's and a lot of that didn't even occur to me. I just and it also gives kind of it's disorienting. It feels like violent uh, the way it slashes. Back and forth like that. Totally. Um, yeah, and, and you're right. Um, and, and we had even talked about earlier um, in this in this volume. It seemed like Heck was almost he couldn't get the pacing right. So there were some pages that had like really big panels that didn't that weren't even dramatic moments. It just seemed like he was kind of stretching things out. Right. Um, and here it's almost the opposite where he is. And even on the, the facing page on 315, there's that series of really small panels as um, as Goliath is really big and then shrinks down out of his chains and then goes through kind of machinery to rescue the wasp. Yeah. Um, that. M- Volume of panels per page you wouldn't have seen earlier in his run. And then moving on to 316, it, one of my favorite panels in this issue is that one of the living laser pulling the lever down and getting electrocuted. Yeah, it has that wonderful sound effect over the top. The coloring is really striking on this as well. Um, and yeah, I just, I, and I love the foreshortening on his fist, which is it's a it's a very Kirby-like foreshortening, but the way it's done with the sketchiness is distinctly Don Heck, and I I really yeah. like that panel.
0: It works so well, and the 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 blacks. Where he's chosen to put the blacks to indicate the lighting coming from below mm-hmm. is, is yeah, it, it works really, really well.
1: It's, yep. it's a nice panel. Yes, indeed. Uh, and then we also have in this issue uh, one thing that kind of some continuity people really were bothered by when I was reading Things Online is that Cap's shield is destroyed, um, which is not a thing that's supposed to happen. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, I think the red con is just that this he, This is one of his, like, steel shields. that wasn't his, like, official shield. Because um, <laughs> we have to have a uh, reason then, for that. Because he's got it at the end of right. the issue. Yep. You have to kind of retcon that somehow, uh, and then the title of this book is reference to Rudyard Kipling's first novel. Uh, that's the author, of The Jungle Book. The kind famous of poem, "If," so the light that failed was uh. the title of this of this issue in this story. Um, and and we we had mentioned in in the the first half of this epic collection that Lee will sometimes pull these literary references uh, seemingly out of nowhere and just kind of sneak them there, referencing various poets and, and authors. So kind of kind of an interesting touch he gave to these illustrations.
0: Totally, people. yeah. Uh, And then this issue ends on a cliffhanger, and uh, as Captain America um, is alone in the Avengers mansion, and someone behind him says, Captain America, I have reached you at last, and he turns around, you! I tell you, it's the most disappointing (laughs) reveal that (laughs) I've read in a long time. Yes. Because you turn the page, and it's like, oh, oh, it's just you, Wanda. Oh, you're back? Oh, okay. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's like right. I thought oh, it was gonna be man. like this, like the Red Skull or something crazy. Yeah, um, Namor maybe even, but <laughs> no, nope, just just Scarlet Witch. Uh, one thing I had read online, which was it, it was in uh, it was a forum. Uh, they said that. Roy Thomas had been angling for it to be, uh, Thor or Iron Man or some, you know, another previous Avenger and kind of have a dramatic reintroduction. And Lee did not want to do that because it would have interfered with, with the other, uh, you know, their ongoing stories. So, nah. so that's why it had to be, uh, Scarlet Witch instead. So i think roy thomas was hoping that if he made it yeah. dramatic enough <laughs> that stanley would exactly. give in yeah exactly that he would be forced to but nope.
0: oh yeah and they they constantly are referencing there's like oh yeah i tried calling iron man and thor but they just can't make it <laughs> they do that a couple right. of times through this book
1: yep yeah or they're somewhere else or yeah it's it, they make it seem like it's impossible for them to even consider coming back
0: So this issue is called The Ultroids Attack. It's the beginning of another two-part story. And Scarlet Witch has returned. And she's here to tell the team that Quicksilver is missing. She gives a little bit of a history into where she's been in these the Where they've both been these past few issues. And uh, they have to go and find Quicksilver. Uh, uh, and when they go to find him, they find an alien spacecraft. And they also find that Scarlet Witch actually wasn't Scarlet Witch, but a shape-shifting android. And... uh, It's not clear in this issue if the planet that she's from is called XR or if like the ruler of the planet is called XR. But we find out more about that in the next issue.
1: Yes. This is probably the most like sci-fi that this comic has gotten so far. I also listen to I try to listen to a lot of like 1950s sci-fi radio dramas. Yeah. And I've been reading through some old uh, Steve Ditko stories from the 50s that have a lot of sci-fi. And this is a story that would have been very much in place. Oh, right. Yeah. absolutely right. thomas's reputation was he was kind of like a fanboy he was the first fanboy who became a professional that was kind of his his uh what he was famous for yeah and and so i'm sure he was a fan of all of that 1950s sci-fi stuff that and he as soon as he had his first full issue to, to plot and to script he went right to that type of area.
0: now this one he only is credited as scripting so i don't know if this is his plot or if it's not we don't know what the, the yeah. deal is there
1: with all of this you know it's very vague and I'm sure you know Stanley was reviewing this, this material as well but I didn't find any notes like I did about the last one um, that Stanley was doing you know kind of because like I said for the previous issue the, the account I heard was that Stanley did the plot summary which could have been pretty vague some of his plot summaries were famous for being you know a few sentences but um, he I, he in the last issue he supposedly did the plot summary and then Roy Thomas just literally scripted it and in this one I don't know what the division of labor is between Don Heck, Lee, and Thomas in terms of the plot, but it definitely has a different feel to it. Um, Lee, though, also was very familiar with the sci-fi stories of the 50s because he wrote a lot of those as well in the 50s. So, oh yeah. Um, either way, it could have been either of those.
0: So the beginning of this issue, Hawkeye wants to bring uh, wants to bring Black Widow on into the team. Uh, that's mm-hmm. at the beginning of this one, isn't it? Or is that the? Next? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. On page two, on page three, twenty-four. Yep. Yep. And we've now just kind of spent the last few issues. That's also something that uh, that we didn't really mention in the last issue is that Black Widow kind of came out of nowhere at the very end.
1: I think it was in the Serpent Society
0: issue. Yeah, that's the Serpent Society issue. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that. She was she was present in uh, in the crowd at the beginning of the first issue of that two-parter, and then she was not present for right. like the entire story and then kind of showed up at the very end to knock the guy out. Um,
1: Right. On page 276 of this epic collection, she swings, she's hanging upside down from the ceiling and um, not the Serpent Society, the Brotherhood of Snakes or whatever. The Sons sons of the Serpents. Sons of the Serpent. Sons of the Serpent. That's yeah. right. Yes. <laughs> but but yeah, and, and it also we're way far removed from kind of the last major plot point that Black Widow had, which is that she had been brainwashed and then finally snapped out of it and then helped Hawkeye defeat Power Man, um, whoever else he was teamed up with. The so- Swordsman. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. The Swordsman.
0: So she's kind of uh she's she's now a, a reformed a reformed villain. She's now a, a good guy, or she a, a self proclaimed good guy at least, or and Hawkeye wants right. her to be. Part of the Avengers, and this was a nice kind of peek behind the scenes of the bureaucracy of the Avengers. Like, uh, uh, she should have membership. And like, well, we can't. We have to call a special meeting to vote on that, and we just yeah. been called away to to help with, so we can't deal with that right now. And, and Giant Man says, like, flat out, you know what? I know my vote right now. No, she just tried to kill us not too long ago, so let's not let her on the on the in the team.
1: <laughs> right, which sets up that what I referenced earlier, which is that kind of interesting dynamic of you know, uh, Goliath and. Wasp, the old guard Avengers. Yeah, They were one of the original members, and then Hawkeye is one of these new former villain members, and it's kind of this uh, different generations clashing. And
0: it's interesting too, yeah. I don't think that um, if Giant Man, because Giant Man and Wasp, if I remember correctly, in Avengers 16, they were part of the group that helped Captain America find the new recruits. They brought on Hawkeye and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, all former villains, and then they said and you know what, we're stepping out at this point we're not going to go out on stage with you when you introduce
1: right because they were like happy that now you have somebody else we can finally take a break we can go on vacation yeah
0: and so why all of a sudden are they not willing to let this villain kind of be on the team this reformed villain if they were letting the other ones wh- who hadn't even proven themselves yet uh, be on the team right Very strange. yeah
1: that I yeah I, I don't think if you think about that too hard it's really yeah. <laughs> gonna make but sense this is one of the um... new things
0: about his new personality that I'm talking about this is part of the 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 rashness and the the hot-headedness that we see in Hank Pym that's coming out now.
1: Right, yep, definitely. Uh, and then in this issue I, I also continue to Don Heck has his moments where you know it seems some panels are kind of dashed off but in this issue there were some really cool things he was doing you talked about that transition uh, where where the the fake Scarlet Witch uh, kind of transforms into her true alien form yep that's on page 331 and that first panel where she's half in shadow um, earlier you had talked about a Heck panel reminding you of Gene Colan and this one also reminds me of Gene Colan that first one yeah uh, and then she kind of very dramatic The camera zooms in uh, as she transforms into this alien um, creature. Uh, And then a few pages even back of that on page uh, 326, there's more of that kind of panel border formalism experimentation where the ship is taking off, and it's taking off across all four panels, but then the panel borders are used to show the city and then gradually above the city uh, and the clouds, and it's done in kind of this jagged artistic way that I thought was very interesting.
0: It's very cool because if you look at the general Jet streaks they go behind the panel break but then the jets yep. the jet itself goes in front of the panel break uh to show yes. yeah to it's to indicate just also the, the yeah the movement but also the change of scene so it's kind of a cool way to do that it's it's quite effective i i like it
1: right and i think it, yeah it, to me it, it also tells me that like this the ship is rapidly moving like from the city out into the sky and it really conveys how quickly that's happening because as you're reading the the caption and all the dialogue the scenery has changed they're all of a sudden um, in a different
0: place yeah exactly
1: yeah.
0: Uh, on the other hand if you go to page 328 uh, while i do like the artwork i feel like the dialogue is betraying what's actually going on here so Hawkeye he first of all we have no idea what he's pointing at they see this spaceship on the very uh, last panel of the previous page and so we assume that Hawkeye is pointing at at the at the ship mm-hmm. and something blows up and yep. and then the dust clears this is not looking at any of the dialogue Okay, this is just looking at the pictures. Yep. Hawkeye shoots something, it blows up, the dust clear, Scarlet Witch says something, and then they enter a cave. So that tells me Hawkeye blew open an entrance to this cave. Right. Yep. But then the dialogue says that the thing that he, that actually blew up was just his bow, or just his arrow, I mean, hitting the side of the ship. It says that my strongest blast arrows didn't even put a dent in the field. And, the, and then Scarlet Witch says, no, wait a minute, I remember I used to play in some caves around here. Let's just go in that cave over there. And then they go in that cave. <laughs>
1: Huh. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know, because there's even shrapnel or debris or something in, in the, the explosion. explosion. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess could just be the pieces of his blast arrow if you want to interpret it that way, but it, I don't think that's the case. I
0: don't think that's the case either. It was it's just kind of an odd Thing, but then the, the the cave they go in leads to the inside of the ship. So I, I don't know what was going on, but there seems to be I think an overabundance of dialogue on this one page for what is essentially a fairly simple sequence.
1: Right, and I, I suppose some of that. This is you know very early Roy Thomas writing. Roy Thomas would go on to be, um, you know, considered one of, the, by a lot of people, one of the the great writers in comics. Yeah. Um, his Avengers run is considered one of the greatest Avengers runs of all time. Oh, for it's sure. Respected right up there with you know with Roger Stern. Kurt you know a lot of those guys, but this is very early stages, and I, I think he's maybe trying to do a little bit too much in some of the dialogue. Um, he's also trying to emulate Stan Lee, which he does a fairly good job of. Oh, he does um, a great job not of not that. Entrance. Yeah, yep. He even uses some of his weird, like, uh, strange slang and uh, word choices. And like, if, if I, I think if I didn't read that um, that there was a different writer on here, I probably would, I don't think I would have noticed the translation at this point.
0: I agree with that. I think he emulates Stan really well. He uses a lot of like he even calls Hawkeye calls Captain America Methuselah and stuff. So it's like he carries on a lot of those threads that show that he was paying
1: attention to the earlier issues, right? Which he yep. would have because he's a fanboy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so so yeah, and this is this arc is also, I think, the only appearance of the the ultraids uh and that uh, that i could find yeah um, i tried to look through every other appearance and I, I think they showed up in a couple of handbook issues you know where i went through a list of every single villain there is but i think this is the only comic that these villains show up in so if you're a fan yeah. of them this is <laughs> this is it
0: <laughs> well this is very typical of early silver age as well it's like there are so many random alien races that just come to the planet for one issue realize that it's not worth conquering and then leave and that's it like i I think yep. the first dozen issues of the Fantastic 4 there's like four or five of those I- instances where it's yep. just random aliens. The Skrulls included, but they became yeah, uh,
1: something early, else. yep, early early Silver Age Marvel is very much aliens and communists aliens and communists and kind of back and forth between the two of them. That's right well why
0: don't we move on to the second half of this story because uh a lot happens in the second half
1: here yes uh yeah so issue 37 of the avengers to conquer a colossus uh this issue also features a, a Gil Kane cover um and speaking of, of back matter which we did a little bit earlier if you go to the back of this epic collection uh you can see uh, the there was unused cover art by don heck um so I don't know if he drew that and then Lee decided it wasn't kind of going to make the grade. It does feature uh, the most of the Avengers, um, or at least the ones in the foreground, um, have their backs to, or the back of their heads are to the, the kind of the yeah. viewer or to the camera. And I know that was kind of one of the cardinal rules, if I'm remembering correctly, that you have to see the heroes' faces. Um I, I do think that's a fairly compelling cover, and it's pretty dramatic with the the supervillain um, very dominant, like kind of standing over the Avengers. Uh, but and I think maybe Gil Kane's composition is a little better, but it looks rushed to me. And this is also a young Gil Kane, so the cover they ended up using um, it looks it's not the best Gil Kane uh, cover, and Gil Kane can do a great cover when he's when he's on his game.
0: Totally. No, I agree. I think you're you're spot on with uh, showing the Avengers in action. This the Gil Kane's Show them having the upper hand, whereas the other cover shows the Colossus having the upper hand, which I'm sure they uh, they wanted their heroes to look more heroic. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yep. He's beating Goliath, one Avenger can look re- weak, but you need to have every single other one kind of rushing into battle, look a little a little bit more exciting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so in this issue, uh, it, it's a continuation of the story that began in issue 36, uh, and the Avengers uh, appear doomed uh, before they are destroyed. Though they learn the origins of Xar um, in this sci-fi adventure. So we have very specifically Hawkeye kind of uh, plays to the cliche of since you're going to destroy us anyway, why don't you tell us where you're from? And then he goes into a long explanation his origins as a, as up here.
0: And we find out that Ixar is the planet, but he was the mm. he be, the, the main guy became like the only the last guy on the planet, and he his name himself is Xar as well. And then he put his mind in a in a an android body or in a spaceship, and then right that's basically it so he is both the planet and the person (laughs) so I found that kind of strange Um, yeah I didn't
1: didn't quite follow all of that and then there's also the subplot of why he's been uh, or they have been capturing the Avengers is so that they would absorb their superpowers and those superpowers would then get distributed into the androids or ultroids which are artificial kind of uh, being android type beings and then they could fight against their rival uh, nation or rival planet um, and have the upper hand because they would have the powers of Super yeah,
0: Um, Yeah, Yeah, so (laughs) and I was actually kind of disappointed that Black Widow only kind of stepped in again, this is the same thing she did last time, kind of stepped in right at the very end to kind of deal the last blow to the villain and save the day and I was really really expecting that especially when you have at the very beginning of this issue all of the Avengers lined up in cylinders in stasis and Mm -hmm. Black Widow is the only one that's not, wouldn't that provide an excellent opportunity for the Black Widow to save everybody and prove herself as a worthy member of the Avengers? And uh, they didn't go in that direction. I was very, very surprised.
1: Right. I I do think, I agree with you, that would have been probably more compelling to to have her prove herself and to have the satisfaction of that. I do think it was interesting how they ended up uh, ending it, whereas she saved the team kind of in her own way and, and also in a way that wasn't very kind of worthy of Avengers code where she basically threatened to kill him um so so there's so, uh, the, if, let me see if i get this right ixar impersonated the head of the head villager of the village where wanda and pietro were and he now is a human strapped into the spaceship who really truly is this alien or something like that but basically he's yeah. the villain and he looks yeah. like a human regular human and black widow threatens to kill him. um and she said you know i could do it because i'm not an avenger and she like and he looks into her eyes, you know, the eyes of like an assassin <laughs> or a spy. He, he's like, yep, you can, uh, I, I believe you. Um, and then so, uh, she she kind of rescues the Avengers in a very non-Avengers-y way, uh, which I did I did think was interesting, even if it wasn't the most satisfying way they could have done that story.
0: Yeah. Now, the next issue is inked by, it's credited George Bell, that's George Rousseau. And yep. I think a lot of this issue was actually inked by George Rousseau also, uh, because there's a lot of oh, inking mean... in here yeah. that doesn't look like a typical um, Don Heck, from what we've seen in the last issues. If you go to page 355, right. just the way the inking is on uh, on right. the on the robot or whatever, and and if you let's see, if you turn the page to page 358, a lot of the dark shading the, the the shading techniques of uh, just Hawkeye on, and his arrow or the on the villain on his face there um, it's just so heavy compared to what we have seen uh, with with um with Don heck in the previous issues uh, I think that he that uh, George Rousseau must have picked up a couple of the pages just to help with the timing and then he was uh, put on as a regular inker for the next issue because that's a Don very heck was good behind. note,
1: yeah I think that's I think that's probably really true I, you know and even if you look earlier into the issue you can even tell... Tell how the the style transitions. Yep. Um, so I would I would not be surprised if some of those earlier pages were done by uh, by Heck on the inks and then it transitioned over to Rousseau. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Rousseau's style is much it's much blotchier and splotchier and these kind of like these big um, kind of, I, I like actually Heck inking himself as opposed to this, this stuff. Um, because there's just almost, and not random, but it's a lot heavier of a touch. It is. Um, and Hex lines are so thin in some points that when you add these really heavy blotches, all your eye goes to those blotches of ink, um, and kind of away from some of those critical features, especially the faces I noticed it a lot, uh, in, yeah. in terms of the difference.
0: Are you ready to move on to our next issue here? I am. Yes. Okay. Uh, Thirty-eight In Our Midst and Immortal. Uh, the next three issues, the last three issues that we're talking about today are all single standalone issues. There are some through lines and some threads, of course, but for the most mm-hmm. part, they are standalone issues, which is one of the changes I think Roy makes to the book, uh, at least to start out here, once he's finished with right. uh, whether or not these are Stan's plots, I don't know. Um, but we're, we're introduced to Hercules, which if you've been reading Thor, you would know Hercules quite well because he had a, a huge storyline in in the pages of Thor but now we're he's being brought over to the Avengers and uh, we're going to see if he sticks around or not he is going to stick around at least for these three issues that we're going to talk about here maybe hopefully longer
1: right um and you have you have an interesting transition just in terms of the the genre where we go from this very kind of cliche-filled sci-fi story over to a fantasy story right um so that's an that's an interesting shift as well and mixed in with some spy drama as well um, so you have a lot of different kind of genre comics colliding here um and then you also have the appearance of the enchantress um so this is roy thomas is is very famous and, and again, not knowing um you know where all of this is coming from still but but Roy Thomas is very famous for uh, being a lover of continuity, so the fact that enchantress is back so one of these recurring avengers villains, and you know previously she was with you know she was a power man or you know she was had uh, entrapped thor her, her whole thing is that she will find some strong the executioner a strong man who she'll like trick or seduce or in some way team up with and then they'll come after the others Um, and so and here she does it by um, poisoning Hercules with some kind of love potion so he's uh, a slave to her essentially is what the plot says
0: yeah Yep. The this is a this was kind of a fun issue. I do like Hercules a lot. I think he's a lot of fun when he shows up because he's just such a different personality than any of the other characters that we meet. And so, uh, so anytime he's there, I enjoy. Um, and this is no right. exception. And once he gets in here, especially once he realizes, once the big battle at the beginning is done, and he realizes that he's been uh, brainwashed and stuff, um, it's just a uh, it's just a lot of. It, he's a good character. He has a lot of interesting. Um, character beats because he is immortal, right. and, and especially now that he's going to be exiled to Earth at the end of this issue, uh, he has to deal with that and make the best of it. So right, yep. He and he's also
1: kind of portrayed um, consistently here, and then also in the Roger Stern run and by by future writers, and he's kind of uh, portrayed as not uh, being the wisest character in right. the world. Yeah. Um. So he makes he makes kind of boneheaded mistakes. He's very lovable, but he really likes drinking and he really likes women, and he's he's kind of a uh, plays in the stereotypes of a kind of playboy um, Greek God or demigod or whatever. So uh, it's, it's, it's also interesting to have somebody who's so gregarious and fun and, and loving of the team teammates of the Avengers. And then he also occasionally uh, will really mess things up for the <laughs> team as well. It's a compelling mix. <laughs>
0: This is a big issue for Black Widow because she gets contacted by Nick Fury and is asked if uh, she will go on a secret mission for him. Not allowed to tell Hawkeye, not allowed to tell the Avengers or anything Mm -hmm. about this. She just has to do it. And of course, if we, we all know Black Widow, as a spy for S.H.I.E.L.D. with a long history, and this is where this all begins. So this was kind of cool to see uh, this issue in that context, in the context of Black Widow.
1: Right. And, And she has a very interesting motivation where it seems like she's she's still trying to prove herself as a lawyer loyal patriot probably too um right so you know because just recently she had been uh, an agent of the communists and now she has to kind of um you know she, she really wants to have a home here and have a be loyal to this country so this is kind of her making up that as well so a lot of interesting threads going on there with her
0: motivation and it provides a really in a really good character moment for hawkeye as well who has been fighting for her this entire time for the past few issues like really like literally fighting with john Giant man right. and then she turns away from it all with no real explanation and he's really hurt by it and he, mm-hmm. he he's angry and he's upset and he busts out and and i thought that was uh it's just nice to see what felt like a really human reaction from a lot of these larger than life characters
1: right and then goliath weirdly enough a little bit in this issue but i think also in the subsequent issues he was like actually i think she might have been a good guy maybe <laughs> we should have let her <laughs> like immediately he has a change of heart <laughs> as soon as <laughs> As soon as he realized she can't be an Avenger, he's actually like, ah, maybe I made a mistake. I think I actually do trust her now that she says yeah. she can't be trusted. A little too there. Uh, uh, funny yeah, scene
0: at uh, 376. Which is page fifteen of the story here. Uh, Hawkeye and Jan are out to dinner because Hawkeye storms off, and Jan, trying to keep the peace, uh, runs after him, and they like they just have a nice little dinner out to to talk things over. And he's not in his costume, but she still calls him Hawkeye. Everybody only calls him Hawkeye. He still doesn't have a real name, <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> so it yeah. just seems so yeah. weird
0: in this conversation. It's like, um, "Hey, Jan, how are you going? Oh, it's okay. I'm not really
1: that hungry, Hawkeye." <laughs> Right, and the waiter's right there. Yeah, like, right he's there. like, he's like, here's your pork loin, and, and like, what does he think that they're just like crazy or? I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's very strange. And then he almost calls her like Natasha. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, because he misses the Black Widow so much. Yeah, so it's a nice little, nice little strange moment there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And then on page 381, this is the last thing I have to say about this issue. There's just a little uh, pop culture reference that I didn't understand that I had to Google. So I like to point those ones out here. Uh, Middle tier mm-hmm. second panel. Uh, Hawkeye says, personally, I bet at midnight he turns into Steve Reeves talking to, to about Hercules because Hercules is uh, going to stick around in the mansion for a little while. And Hawkeye says he's going to turn into Steve Reeves. And I, I I don't know who Steve Reeves is. Do you know who Steve Reeves is? Yeah, I had no idea. No,
1: I, I just read that and I think my brain didn't even try to process what it was. I, I reverted to my childhood reading these where I just wouldn't understand half of the names in the book. So, <laughs>
0: so I, I googled him and he is a bodybuilder, an American bodybuilder. He's, he played the role of Hercules in a movie in 1958 and a sequel the next year as well. And he was actually uh, ah. very, very, very well known. Uh, one of the top paid actors in all of Europe at the time, apparently, according to what I read on Wikipedia. So it's a reference oh. that everybody would have known at the time of reading this but has been lost to history a little bit nowadays
1: yes and that that kind of goes along with the silver age marvel comics like kind of making fun of themselves or or being a little tongue-in-cheek um whereas you know the distinguished competition dc like would not dc comics would not necessarily have done something like that yeah Um, whereas here they're kind of poking fun at the fact that maybe he's just an actor who plays hercules on tv um so they're kind of not taking themselves too seriously
0: (laughs) Okay, two more issues to go here. Issue number 39, The Torment and the
1: Triumph. Yeah, so in issue 39, the newspapers declare that Black Widow is a traitor to the country. Hercules makes himself at home uh, in, in some very amusing ways. Uh, and the Avengers face the Triumvirate of Terror. <laughs> yeah, these guys are so funny. So great. Um, and <laughs> yeah, they uh, those those three individuals, the Triumvirate of Terror, never appear again in another single issue of Marvel comics that i could um, yeah i uh, had to look time. up
0: because one of them's called hammerhead <laughs> and another's called pile driver and i'm like those are two characters that i know from you know later on in the marvel universe are these actually right. the first appearances of these characters and i looked it up and no they're totally different
1: <laughs> yep they're entirely different people so they reuse the name hammerhead because that's like you know it's a good name good. and he kind of acts the same way the ha- yeah the hammerhead the the uh, John Ramita Stanley Hammerhead in the Spider-Man comics. You know he has a flat head and he's like a mobster or enforcer yeah. or whatever. But it's basically he smashes his head into people, so that's a, the same kind of thing too. And um, the uh, what was the other guy? Pile driver. Uh, one guy uses his head, one guy uses his fist, one guy uses his uh, feet. So the pile driver. He's in the Wrecking Crew, I think. Oh yeah, Thunderfoot. Yes, yeah. So I really just want to like read an entire mini series about Thunder. Thunderfoot. Thunderfoot, Thunder Boot, excuse me. <laughs> Oh, oh Thunderboot. Yeah, no, that's even <laughs> yeah. better. Thunderboot. Uh, yeah, Thunderboot. Yeah, I want uh,
0: that miniseries really too.
1: Somebody bring up. I want Thunderboot to team out with like Batroc the Leaper, just all and maybe Stiltman too, all <laughs> the like leg-based supervillains. Right. <laughs> oh man, yep. And the the Mad Thinker is the the kind of the main villain in this. And the Mad Thinker, the first I remember the first Fantastic Four I read with him, issue I read with him, like he was just barely defeated. And and I was like, wow, but he like predicted so much. And when I was a kid, I was like, wow. Wow, oh, this guy is like, how do you even beat him? He knows everything is going to happen. But then the more times he shows up, the dumber his character. Like he's less <laughs> yeah, compelling. It only works for a couple of times because he's like, he's like, oh, I forgot the X factor, the human factor. And then oh, I forgot the god factor in this one. Like he didn't account for the fact that Hercules was there. So he always forgets a lot of things that account. So uh, yeah, it uh, he becomes yeah. less compelling to me the longer longer he appears. Is
0: it because his gimmick is undone the exact same way? Well, actually, it's not exactly. the same way either there's an element that he couldn't possibly have known about in this one it's hercules because hercules wasn't a, a member of the avengers yep. um or the characters purposely think out uh like think of um like uh, unusual ways ways that they wouldn't normally think to try and counter his his predictions and it's yeah yeah you can only right. do that so many times before it's like his his whole shtick is old and tired
1: right exactly it's kind of like the taskmaster it reminds me of like oh i'm just gonna do a move i've never done before and then i'll beat the taskmaster because he didn't have memorize that one. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh overall, I thought this issue was was fine. I do really like uh Hercules. This, this issue has this amazing scene that I, I think this is something that I don't think Stan Lee would have done. This, to me, is a Roy Thomas touch. On page 396, Hercules is in some kind of bar, and he's singing a ballad about his, like, mighty deeds, and the lettering on this is incredible. It's this <laughs> yeah. weird kind of bolded italics, and there's all these, these people gathering around, like, swooning at him, and he's, like, he has this big beard, and he's wearing a nice suit, and yeah, it's just... It's so weird and it's it's right after like the mad thinker has taken out a number of the avengers and sandwiched right after that is more violence in action it is so surreal and non sequitur that i just love it
0: i love it too and it reminds me of what friends Ron, friends and tom defalco will do with with hercules's character in thor in uh, in the 80s when they jump on that title
1: Ooh, i have not read that i heard that, that that's a really good run oh run. man it's so good. i think that's one of those runs that i feel like the epic collections have really like helped people rediscover because um, I will go on the you know the Epic Collection Facebook page and people talk about that uh, that run now way more than I heard people talking about it before the Epic Collections came. Oh, out. Oh for
0: sure. Well and just it hadn't been collected so the ex- accessibility wasn't there but now it's there and you especially you as a fan of the Silver Age should definitely check it out because it is uh, it is just such a, a love letter to the Lee Kirby days. The whole thing is really nice. good. Yeah.
1: Nice. Yeah. Some of the artwork I've seen looks incredible. Yeah.
0: It really is. Uh, so go to page uh, three eighty five. Mm-hmm. And on 385, we have uh, another scene with Nick Fury talking about Black Widow, and it makes a little note here. It says, uh, Stan Lee says, better bite your tongue, dum-dum. Too much is riding on this. And now back to Betty Bye. Remember, I'm supposed to be confined to quarters. And then the very next panel, it says, now next, before you, you frantic ones start thumbing through this month's strange tales to learn just why the director <laughs> of S.H.I.E.L.D. is confined to his quarters, let's drop in on the nearly, you know, it goes on. But it's like, yep, that's Stan trying to tell us to go through, uh, to go check out the other issues. And that's even before I read that caption. That's exactly what I wanted to do. It's like, oh, why is he confined to quarters? I'm going to go check that out. And uh, and so I did. I had to go pull off my Shield trade paperback that I have. Uh, It's a Storanko issue. (laughs) Uh, What? And let me see here. It's issue number one fifty four. And he fights a giant Mm. hydro robot and blows it up. And he gets caught in the explosion.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Nice. He gets blown up a lot in the yep. shield issues. Like the Kirby stuff before that. And then also <laughs> with Stranko. That's early Stranko. Because didn't Stranko come on like 151 or something yes, like that? It like like came a, on yeah, pretty early. It's
0: very, very early Stranko. Uh, and then the other page, if you turn the page to page 386, then we have mm-hmm. a reference to, in the last panel, to Captain America. The mad thinker is thinking, since the star-spangled Sentinel is obviously occupied elsewhere, and there's a little asterisk telling us to go to suspense number 89. So it's like they're really, really playing with the intercontinuity, weaving the stories together of everything that's going on in the Marvel Universe.
1: Yeah. And at this point, again, it's getting harder and harder to keep track of because at this point, if we're like, what, five years into the Marvel Universe or something like that, that's, that's starting to become a lot of issues that you have to remember all the previous events, you know, all the current events, how they all yep. kind of intermingle. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Flash forward to today where it's like there's 50 titles on a monthly right. basis and they all all connect into like the War of the Realms <laughs> series or whatever. Like, holy cow. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's just, yeah. Odd. I
1: remember even when, yep. like, like, Secret Wars, when that was happening, and the Esad Ribic, you know, art is so beautiful in the, the main Secret Wars book, and they, he would take him a while to, to do it, and they would have to, like, push back some of the miniseries, but not some of the <laughs> other ones, <laughs> yeah. and they would, like, yeah, it just oh, man. all got way too
0: much. It's so brutal. Yeah. And it's like, it all starts here. We can probably thank Roy Thomas for being so into interconnected storytelling um, that
1: uh, <laughs> that we have what we have yeah. today. Yep. Uh, yep. But yeah, I uh, you know in, you know in the end because of you know kind of we, as we referenced because Hercules Hercules actually makes very quick work. So they have all every single one of the Avengers except for Hercules tied up on page three ninety nine of this, which is page seventeen of the issue. And then he needs like two and a half pages. And then he's he's fr- all the Avengers are free and all the bad guys are defeated and the Mad Thinker is run off. Like he he makes a very quick work of them. Yeah, um, along with the other Avengers.
0: One of the things that I like about Roy Thomas here is he's actually using he's splitting up the team for the sake of the plot whereas stan would have oh there's a call we all have to go rush into danger and then they all go as a team um in this issue in particular we have scarlet witch and quicksilver go off and do one thing and giant man and wasp go off and do one thing and and hawkeye does another thing and and it all they all have their own threads that all come together in the end and so i like that aspect it's just more creative storytelling, and it uh, lends itself to just more interesting, because because it's not just like a big fight, the entire issue. We have little right. little stories to follow.
1: It's more organic. You see human elements, you see what they're doing in their daily life, but takes them to the various places they're going, so yeah. it makes them feel like more like real people, more changes for characterization. That kind and
0: we're of. definitely going to see more of that come out as this title progresses.
1: Alright, should we move on to the last issue of this epic collection? Yeah, let's do it. So this issue is Avengers 40, Suddenly the sub Mariner. Um. So, the Avengers uh, go off searching for the Cosmic Cube, um, and in their search for the Cosmic Cube, they run across uh, Namor, the Submariner uh, and find themselves in uh, battle against him.
0: So, this is a story that, if this were a modern day, this would be a tie-in to the event. Uh, because the actual main story is taking place in the pages of Captain America, because Red Skull, there's a huge, like, multi-part story where the Red Skull has the Cosmic Cube, and Captain America right. has to take him down. And in this one, Captain America has just contacted the Avengers, saying, "Hey, uh, can you guys find the Cosmic Cube for me? I'm taking care of Red Skull, but find the Cosmic Cube. It's in the bottom of the ocean." So they go to they go to yep. look for it. And really. Nothing happens because they the submariner finds it. He uses it for a bit and then he drops it, and nobody finds it. Um, well, not right. nobody. <laughs> the mole man finds it at the very end, but doesn't do anything with it. So it's like it doesn't amount to anything. It's the perfect kind of a tie-in issue to make you read the main story.
1: Exactly. Like because you want because because reading this, if you didn't know what the cosmic cube would was like, it was like oh this is a crazy weapon and Cap was using it and and Cap was pretending to be on Red Skull's side and Red Skull had this weapon. Like it's it, there's a lot of mystery that's developed within this issue. Um, overall, I thought this was a really solid issue. Yeah. Um, you know, the Avengers throughout a lot of this, these issues we've been going over are kind of treading water. You know, there's been moments of character development, and you know, there's been characters coming in like more Black Widow and then Hercules, but but here i thought this was just a really solid example of the avengers of this era um it was a fun adventure uh you have you know you have hercules battling it out and kind of showing how strong of a character he is uh yeah, i i just thought it was a one of the more compelling issues in this epic collection
0: yeah and it gives it gives everybody a time to shine and uh and especially now i feel like we finally reached the point where they're actually working as a really good unified team Right. and taking Captain America out of the picture was an interesting choice because he's the guy that was always saying execute plan uh, maneuver D or whatever you know that kind of stuff Yeah, and without yeah and then
1: it would, like throw this thing up there yeah. and he's the <laughs> one
0: that brought them together as a team because when they first became the Avengers in issue 16 uh, they couldn't work together they got in each other's way and then Cap f- slowly formed them into a cohesive unit and now take him out of the picture and we find out that they can still be a cohesive unit so this is where we've progressed as the avengers and i uh, and you're right this is a great example of the team where they are now right
1: and on like on page 412 um The top right-hand panel, um, Goliath says, I, for one, was just recalling how you used to be Cap's self-appointed gadfly. Now you act like a charter member of his fan club. (laughs) And Hawkeye said, let's just say my eyesight's improved, man. And basically, he's copied to the fact that he used to kind of give Cap a really hard time, and now he's learned to appreciate him. And, and, you know, now he's actually a really good leader in this book, too, and he works really well with the other teammates. Yeah. yeah, you be... also have Scarlet Witch. Uh, you also have Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver sitting out this adventure too, because at the start of the issue, Scarlet Witch faints. She's still exhausted from her last battle, um, and and Quicksilver stays behind and, and takes care of her.
0: Yeah, we have enough Avengers now that they can do that, and that we can yes. uh, start to focus in on on one or two characters at a time and leave some out, or you know, you play with the team dynamics because there are enough people that you can mix and match and come up with some cool stories.
1: So, so that's neat. Yeah. Uh, I have a soft spot for the Submariner. I really like him as a villain. Uh, I didn't at first when I was young, especially reading those uh, like Fantastic Four stories. I was just like, oh, this guy again. and He's kind of good uh-huh. and he's kind of bad. But but I've grown to appreciate his arrogance, um, especially you know when he's he's fighting against Hercules and he's about to defeat him. And he's like, wait, this isn't a fair battle. Like I need to go back to the surface where it's going to be a more evenly matched fight. He is he he draws that balance well between being a villain but also kind of wanting to be an honorable man. Right.
0: Well, I think that does it for our for our episode today. We've gone through these uh, these issues and had a great conversation. Um, any yeah. f- any final points you want to bring up or anything?
1: I think the the final thing is that this is uh, functionally the end of the Don Heck era of Avengers. Um, so he he does come back for issue forty five. Uh, at this point, I think he took a break from the book to do the pencils for the annual number one. So uh, you know, he does show up at various other small points in Avengers comics history, but the main Don heck run uh, which ran from 9 to 40 uh, with the exception of issue 16 is concluded so that was the Don heck era we just finished up
0: there wow and so this really is the end of an era because we also saw the end of Lee in these issues as well so we're moving forward now with Roy Thomas and uh, John Buscema and it's going to be
1: a fun fun ride right and I think the series really starts taking off as the two of those creators really start to gel together well wow. cool.
0: well we're going to try something a little different here uh, usually I like to flip back and forth. Forth between books and between co-hosts but um, Chris I think we're going to just keep on going through Avengers for a little while on a little weekly basis here and we'll continue on with the Epic Collection Volume 3 Masters of Evil and we will talk about uh, some more of those issues uh, next time uh, we get together next week looking forward to it perfect thanks all for listening join my Facebook group search Epic Collections and also search for Epic Marvel Podcast on our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and I'm all over the place you can find us have some great conversation and uh yeah thanks for listening everybody and we will see everybody next time
1: thanks everyone